When writing does that, I think it just gives comfort to the reader, and that slight amount of embedded repetition really helps the idea of, okay, this is what I can take away from this. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Chief Marketing Officer. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. So, Andrew, as you know, and as our listeners perhaps know, the structural units, the unit one, two, three, four, you recommend that we follow a one a month schedule. So, in the spirit of that, we're going to be talking today about unit four because it's a new month. Well, that is the original idea of Webster nine units, nine months. Of course, we tweak that a little bit because unit one and two in most cases, can kind of be just simultaneous. Mm -hmm. And then it seems like you lose a little bit of time between December and January. Yes. Especially in a school classroom. Yes. But, you know, if you persist and make it all the way to May, you can get all nine units in. All nine units, yes. One a month. And there is sometimes a misunderstanding about mastery learning and how that applies to the units, because we talk about this whole philosophy of easy plus one. Right. And that is specific to building the style checklist right? because it's cumulative. Mm-hmm. But the units are not cumulative in that way. In other words, you don't have to completely understand unit three to move on to unit four. Right. So very often you will end a unit, particularly with, you know, upper elementary kids who may need a lot of help or any kids who would need a lot of help, Mm -hmm. you may end the unit for that month and still just helping them, helping them, you know, read the source text, think it through, make the outlines, and that's okay. Right. They don't have to have independence in that way. What you do want to do is, of course, only introduce a new style technique, dress-ups, openers, decoration, as they become easy because that list is ever growing through all nine units. Yes, yes. But, you know, some people are worried. Oh, no, what if they didn't get to the point where they could do unit three independently? Well, no problem because next year you will come around in October and hit it again. Yes, you will. So what is different about unit four? Well, if you look at the kind of big picture of the units – When I draw it on Mm -hmm. the board and the way it is in the seminar workbook, unit one and two are kind of in the middle because those could be fiction or nonfiction. It could Mm -hmm. be an Aesop fable. It could be interesting information about an animal or a person or a place, something. But then on the right side, unit three, and that's kind of a fiction-y thing. That's usually a story. It's retelling narrative stories. So it could be a fairy tale, myth, fable. And then... On the left side, then, is unit four because that is kind of on the nonfiction 
fact report research essay side. Mm, okay. And then we just go right down and the odd numbers, three, five, seven, are the creative inventive ones. And the even numbers, four, six, eight, are more of the research fact-based ones. And that is, I think, one of the genius aspects of the way Webster put this together mm -hmm. so many decades ago was he noticed that children like variety. Yes. They like a new thing. And so if you announce it's a new month, we have a new unit, then everybody's happier mm -hmm. because it's something new. Yes. And the teachers like new things too. Nobody likes to do the same thing for too long. Mm -hmm. You know, that I think gives everyone an opportunity to experience both sides. Because there are some kids who really don't like the creative inventive, you got to think of something and be funny or unique or original. I was one of those kids, like, mm -hmm. don't make me write a story, just give me some facts. Mm -hmm. But then there's other kids, and you know they don't like to have to be obedient to the facts. They just rather have the freedom to make crazy stuff up. I was one of those kids. <laughs> yeah, so, and the world needs both, Yeah. right? So that's part of the genius is mm -hmm. alternating. And so kids who are strong on one side have a little chance to experience that, but then they go over to the other side and they have to get a little stronger and go through the school year. And so it kind of meshes together the discipline of being obedient to content and the act of being more imaginative and mm -hmm. creative. So yeah. hopefully then those things kind of come together in unit eight and nine where you can, you know, be serious, have your specific things you want to put in and also be creative with that. So that's part of, I think, the genius of the way it was set up and the goal. And we have had questions over the years, do we have to do the units in order? And best practices say yes. Well, <laughs> I know you're going to waffle on this. Well, no, you're so you nice. think about anything. <laughs> there are very few things that you have to do. Sure. Right. And the old saying, well, you have to die. That's one. <laughs> And if you don't pay taxes, you'll die because you won't be able to buy food. So you might as well, I guess you could beg. You could be a beggar forever. Taxes you could possibly get out of, I don't know. But other than that, everything's optional. Well, mm -hmm. that's not ideal, though. Right. So there are things that we do to have a better life. Yes. There's also things in our writing system that if you do them, you'll get a better result. Yes. You could skip them and live. But we have found over time <laughs> mm -hmm. that it really does work best to do the units in the order that Webster originally created them. Right. So unit four is more factual. How is it different than from, say, unit two? Well, the biggest change would be in unit two, you basically don't have a, a funnel or a strainer. It's just straight down. You start with seven statements. You get seven statements worth of keyword outline content, and then you write that out, and you may very well end up with about seven statements. Right. So it's kind of a straight down. It doesn't require any thinking about other than what are the keywords in the sentence. Whereas in unit four now, the whole design is to have too many facts. So now you you have this problem of, okay, I've got a source with maybe 10 facts and I only want a paragraph with six of them or whatever you've decided. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, that's pretty easy because then you can just like choose the best six or ignore three or four and end up with something. But as that funnel opening 
gets wider. Now you've got 15 facts and you only want six or seven. Now you've got 20 facts, you only want six or seven. Now you've got 50 facts and you have to divide it into two topics. And then you've got 20 to 30 facts and you only want six or seven for each of those and you're writing two paragraphs and you could even get up to three. Honestly, you could do, I mean, you could have a thousand facts and still write one paragraph. But the wider the funnel gets, the more challenging it is because the task is trying to figure out, okay, what of the too many statements we have mm -hmm. should I choose and then transfer into the keyword outline using the keywords? So the similarity is you're using keywords from the text on the page. You are having to choose those three keywords, but the differences are Number one, you've got too many facts. And number two, if you had a sentence that had two facts, then you could actually take three keywords from each half of the sentence. Or you could possibly have a sentence with, you know, a compound sentence with a long clause in the end. And it could theoretically contain three distinct facts and you want to choose them all. Right. <laughs> then you might have three keywords from each part of that sentence. So we're, we're teaching, take your keywords from facts, not sentences. That's probably the biggest difference, unit two and three, along with the fact that we've intentionally created source texts and we intentionally try to choose source texts that have too many facts, but kind of the Goldilocks, right? Not too many that it's overwhelmingly stressful, and not too few that there's no choices required. So it's that middle zone where, of course, the wisdom is always in the balance. It's true. It's true. So how do you choose? Well, there's a lot of ways. Random is helpful. Just like <laughs> close your eyes and poke the page. I've tried that and it works. <laughs> okay. So if you were totally lost and desperate and didn't have any idea, you could actually just choose at random. Mm -hmm. But we would like to train the discernment of the student in making the choice. And so the criteria words that I like to use are number one, interesting, number two, important, and number three, if the kid is old enough to understand relevant. Mm -hmm. How is it related to or connected with the direction you're going here? But that's maybe a little harder to teach. It mm -hmm. kind of comes with maturity, mm -hmm. I think. So with younger kids or first time I do this, I basically just say, pick what you think is interesting. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then you have the charge to teachers who are teaching this system the difference between interesting and important and why choosing something interesting for the most part should trump what's important. Well, interesting is very safe, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Like if you and I read something and then we talk about it and I say, so what did you find interesting about that? And you tell me and then you say, well, what did you find interesting about that? And I tell you, we may pick some of the same things. We may pick different things. and we can't be wrong. There, mm -hmm. There's no right or wrong about interesting. It is purely a matter of opinion. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you stress what's important, then you could be wrong because there actually are 
things that are more important than other things. There's a hierarchy of mm -hmm. important things. And while our modern news media doesn't seem to understand this, <laughs> the, the great historian Hilaire Belloc mm. made this point. He said it is not just a responsibility of an historian to relate facts, but also to prioritize mm. those facts. And, you know, we see this totally mis mixed up. I think it was a well-known billionaire, we'll just leave it at that, <laughs> who asked a friend of his, a girl who was in school, who's the first president? George Washington. What do you know about George Washington? He was a slave owner. Wow. Well, is that the most important thing? Mm -hmm. That's a fact, but it's probably not as important as many of the other things he did to help establish the foundation of an entire nation. Yes. So we realize that that's a level of discernment, but it comes with experience and age and maturity and modeling. And so with younger children, if you say, choose what's important, they may think, well, I don't know what's important. And then they could make a choice and you could say, no, wrong. That is not as important as this other thing. You should have picked that. And then, you know, they don't want to do that again. Right. And so they're going to wait for you to tell them right. what to pick. So I usually just say, you know, interesting or important or relevant, connected with what you want to tell me about this. Right. But the other thing is, and I, I say this in the seminar, and I think a lot of people can relate. Do you remember being in school writing reports? Mm -hmm. I mean, I my report writing memory is very vague, and it starts around third grade. And then I have a lot of report writing memories connected with fourth and fifth and sixth, mostly involving how to copy out of the encyclopedia and change enough words so that you don't get accused of having copied out of the encyclopedia. Yes. And I remember feeling, number one, I you know, the teacher would say this kind of idiom I dislike intensely, put it in your own words, right? Everybody's heard that, mm -hmm. put it in your own words. But what does that even mean? I don't own any words. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm borrowing all the words <laughs> I've got. The other thing is I remember thinking, this is kind of dumb. If anyone actually wanted to know about Japan or Christopher Columbus or tree frogs, they should just read the blasted encyclopedia. Why make me copy? I'm not going to do any better than it, right? <laughs> right. How am I going to do a better job than an encyclopedia telling someone about something? Sure. So as a kid, you're like, what's the point? This is busy work. But if the teacher had said, Andy, what I want is for you to tell me what you think is interesting about Japan or Columbus or tree frogs. Well, that would have had a bit of a purpose to it. It's mm -hmm. like, oh, the teacher wants to know what I think is interesting. Okay, I'll go find something that is interesting and tell her that's what I think. You know, so there's, a, I think, a respect for the intellect of the student when you invite them to tell you what is interesting. And if they can do that without the fear of being wrong, then not only will they be happier to do it, they'll probably be a little bit more uh, creative in the use of vocabulary or sentence patterns or whatever they can come up with to be creative when you're trying to be obedient to the facts. Yes, yes. So I've heard you say for younger children in particular, and I suppose this is true for older students, if there is something important you want to be sure the students capitalize on, tell them 
so that they can include that in their paper. Right. Because they might not know. And then if they don't include the important thing that you think is important and you criticize or mark them down or let them know that they should have done something differently. You know, the kids are always like, well, mm-hmm. it's not very helpful to hear what I should have done because if I could have done that, I would have done that. So right. if you want me to do something, just tell me and I'll do it. And so that idea of saying, yeah, if you're going to write about this thing, then here are three really important things you should be sure to include. And then three more, you can pick whatever you like. Mm-hmm. And that's a fair way to go. Yep. You know? I love that. Yep. That's very good. So this whole idea of getting too much to choose from and having to narrow it down, isn't that life, Andrew? I always think of Unit 4 as kind of a life lesson. I, I would agree because, if anything, now there's way too much. I mean, I would open up the encyclopedia, turn to Japan, and there's 10 pages. Well, what am I going to do? I'm not going to copy all 10 pages. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but now you Google up Japan and there's a gazillion pages <laughs> and your ability to to see what's important or mm-hmm. to see the divisions of information, it's a lot harder. Yes. I am very sad about the demise of the printed encyclopedia because I think it was such a great tool for kids to learn one of the skills we're trying to teach in Unit 4, which is dividing a subject into topics. Yes. And encyclopedias always had those nice little subheadings mm-hmm. so that whatever you were looking at, if it was you know, of any significant length, of any significance really, there would be these little bolded subheadings and you could just kind of roll down and go, well, okay, there's the geography, there's the agriculture, there's the industry, there's the politics. And okay, I see how a state could be divided up. Mm -hmm. But, you know, even if you go to Britannica.com or Wikipedia or one of the online encyclopedias, it's not clear like that. You don't see it by flipping a few pages and seeing the bold subheadings. So I am always encouraging parents, boy, if you can get yourself a 2000 world book, yeah, it's 20, 25 years old or getting close to that. But a lot of the world hasn't changed in 25 years. Mm-hmm. And there's still a tremendous value in being able to flip through yes. very quickly the pages in an article and see What's the scope of the topics that are are there? So as a training tool, I still think the paper encyclopedia is very, very valuable. Yes, yes. I've heard you refer to this unit before as the linchpin of the structural units. So well, it's right in the middle, right? Four out of nine, so close to the middle. I mean, nine, to me, eight is really the climax, mm-hmm. and nine is kind of the extra little thing you could do if you still have any energy left at the end of the school year. I know you think a little differently. I do. (laughs) But being right in the middle, kids are used to now choosing keywords. They're used to writing from keywords. They're used to adding in the dress-up techniques. And so now in Unit 4, those things aren't particularly new or challenging. But we introduce this idea of limiting Mm -hmm. and then also the topic clincher paragraph rule, which becomes a rule that the students will apply in unit five, in unit six, 
in the body paragraphs of Unit 7 and 8. So getting the topic clincher solid in Unit 4, for me, is a primary objective. Mm-hmm. Although there will be some kids that still don't seem to do it or get it, but I'm not worried because I'm going to hammer it again with writing from pictures and Unit 6 research. and But it it is, I think, one of the ideas that just it's almost like instant improvement in writing. Yes. We uh, have this tagline with our company, listen, speak, read, write, think. And as you were describing what you were just saying right now about limiting and being able to do the topic clincher rule, these are real thinking skills. Can you Can you speak to that a little bit? When you listen to someone who's very articulate, Mm -hmm. they either plan or they have enough experience to give structure to their presentation, to their content. And you really can tell the difference. In fact, I go to many conventions over the course of a year. Yes. (laughs) And occasionally I will go and listen to another speaker. Mm -hmm. And there really is a pretty clear difference between someone who has the experience, the intentionality, the planning to be organized, present ideas in units of thought, and someone who just gets up and rambles. I hope that people would consider me in the (laughs) the more organized group, because I think we all appreciate that. Yes. You know, you go to a church and you hear a sermon and it may be on point and here's, you know, the three, four of things you should take away and those are units of thought, or maybe not, and you kind of walk out of there saying, there's nothing really I remember from that sermon. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. You've had, I'm sure, all mm-hmm. those experiences. So using this technique of units of thought and a little bit of repetition really helps people walk away with some of the concepts you're trying to share with them. So the topic clincher is this element of repetition that helps to frame the idea, reinforce the idea, and then when you move on to the next idea, you have that little bit of sense of completion about that. This, of course, is classical rhetoric. I mean, Mm. you can take this all the way back to simplest ideas from Aristotle and and Mm -hmm. Cicero in terms of this units of thought concept. So how do we teach that to children? Well, through a model, through a process, through modeling the process, and then through having them practice the process until they have internalized it. Yes, and and you force the students to do the topic clincher rule with hand motions. Well, I came up with that one time and— Ever since I taught preschool, I knew that if you want people to remember something more easily, if you can affix either music and or gestures, Mm -hmm. they will remember things with fewer repetitions than simply auditory or verbal practice. And, you know, that's true from Eensy Weensy Spider, you know, all the way up to (laughs) a very sophisticated rendition of, say, a famous speech. Mm -hmm. And most people get into drama know that once you start to block the scene and choreograph things, Mm -hmm. 
then the lines are easy to remember because you're able to lock certain sequences to certain movements. Mm -hmm. So that's why I invented kind of accidentally, really, but now it's it's pretty much standard. It's Everybody's doing IEW it. IEW canon, absolutely. Um, the uh, the gestures for the topic clincher rule, but the main thing is that you know you want that rule to be clear and ever present in their consciousness, in their thinking, so that when they come to the end of the paragraph, they stop, say, I'm about to end this paragraph. They read the first sentence. They look for two or three words which can be fit into the last sentence or create a last sentence to mirror it. And then, you know, you start with repeat and use exactly the same words because that's teaching the concept. And then you can show them how to use a thesaurus type of tool to look for synonyms that would then reflect mm -hmm. the keywords of the topic. So for, I mean, there might be a listener or two who has never heard the topic clincher rule. Can you please say it for our listeners? The topic sentence and the clincher sentence must repeat or reflect two to three keywords. There it is. So if you wanted to write about, see, my mind just goes to dangerous and unsavory things like San Francisco. <laughs> okay, well, let's talk about San Francisco. Well, if you wanted to say that San Francisco has been suffering economic decline mm. due to exploding homelessness mm. and crime. Okay. That might be your topic sentence. Okay. <laughs> and then, or maybe you would just pick one of those. Okay. Right. And so you might say, San Francisco has become a less pleasant place to be because of a great increase in minor and even major crimes. Then you're going to give a few examples. San Francisco snow. Yes. <laughs> which most people don't know means shattered glass on the ground outside your car because someone broke a window to steal something out of it. And that's actually happened yes. to me. Oh. And you weren't even in San Francisco. No, we were you outside. Were near San yes, Francisco. Yes, it's true. And then you could talk about how stores are closing because the police won't do anything about shoplifting. Mm. And so people just walk in and throw stuff in bags and walk out and nobody can stop them. And you might talk about other forms of crime that could make San Francisco a less pleasant place to be. And then in your clincher sentence, you would you could say exactly the same thing. San Francisco has become a less pleasant place to live because of increase in crime. Or you could say San Francisco is a criminal hellhole. <laughs> I guess that's maybe a little harsh. Yes. <laughs> could be, but you but you get the point. You get the point, yes. Yes. You you could also say nice things about Tulsa, Oklahoma, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Yes. Or you could say recently it has been very, very hot. Yes, it has been. <laughs> so that idea of mm -hmm. looking for words that are either the same or similar that helps the student learn to follow the topic clincher rule. And, you know, it's very interesting. I was reading an old book. This book was written at least 100 and some years ago, and it was translated from the French. Okay. And I don't remember exactly the author or the title, but it was kind of a book on political science. Mm -hmm. It was a commentary on 
kind of the history of politics. And, and I was reading the book and I was thinking, this is challenging, but it's really good. It, it's, it's hard. It's stiff reading, but I can read it pretty easily. Like I'm getting it. Oh, nice. Unlike some hard books where yes. I stop and have to start all over again five times and then give up. And as I was going through, I realized this author had, I would say, with 90% or so, followed the topic clincher rule in every paragraph of this book. Oh, it's, oh, it's not something you invented. <laughs> no, and it's not something Webster, I think, invented, mm. maybe codified. Right. But the principle of presenting paragraphs as a cohesive unit of thought about a division of a greater thing you're talking about, mm -hmm. just that's the way we work. I mean— Think about human beings. We have all these different organs and different systems, and they're all connected, but they're not smushed together in one big mess. They all have a function and a purpose. Yep. You know, when writing does that, I think it just gives comfort to the reader, and that slight amount of embedded repetition really helps the idea of, okay, this is what I can take away from this. So, listener, as you are now preparing to delve into Unit 4, don't be afraid. If you haven't done so recently, perhaps watch your disc four or your clip four from your teaching writing structure and style and get a little refresher or use one of our theme-based books that does a pretty good job of explaining what Andrew teaches on the video. But we know that you will have success with this. We know that your students will enjoy the process. Well, maybe they won't enjoy it, but they'll at least get it. I, I never ever tell anyone you're going to like this. <laughs> I don't ever guarantee no. to anyone your kids are going to like this. No, but we hear from lots of people yeah. how much. What I do say is you don't have to like it. You just have to do it. If a kid does something and they get a little bit better, mm -hmm. a little bit better, a little bit better, what happens? They want to do it more because they have this sense of improvement. I was actually swimming with a five-year-old grandchild this morning who is not quite at the point of being able to keep her head underwater without mm. inhaling or swallowing water. Mm -hmm. But she's getting a little closer and a little closer and a little closer. And pretty soon, she's going to be able to jump in, swim underwater like a fish, and travel five feet. Yep. She's really close. Aww. But the process of getting her from... I'm really afraid to have my face get wet to the point where I'm willing to jump in and swim underwater. You can't do that without a very small little incremental steps of, of improvement. And at first you hate it. And then by the end, you're a six-year-old who just wants to swim all the time. Yep. Very good. Thank you, Andrew. My pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. Or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcasts. Here you can also find show notes and relevant links from today's broadcast. One last thing. Would you mind going to iTunes to rate and review our podcast? This really helps other smart, caring listeners like you find us. Thanks so much.